amazing followers of you. And I pray for Patrick, Father, that you would give him words that we need to hear this morning to challenge us and help us to grow and become that mature believer. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Excellent. Uh, my name is Patrick. I am the youth pastor here. Uh, I say this every time I preach. If you don't like it, Frank will be back next week. Uh, Frank's our senior pastor. Uh, but if you are here with us for the first time, we are super glad that you're with us. We're in James, uh, and f- before we get there, Christian, can you throw this tree up? There, there's a picture. There's a tree. A random tree. Anybody know where that tree is? Some of you know. Some of you are kind of like... I throw the other picture back up. It, that's it right there. That little guy. You see it? Yeah, sometimes the big picture helps us understand what we're looking at when we look at the little picture. See, James uh, is writing a letter, and he's writing it to the dispersed Messianic Jews, the believers uh, outside of Jerusalem, and he's concerned that they're not living what they believe, or what they say they believe. He wants them to be doers of the word, not just hearers. That's the greater context of James. He's more concerned with the practice of the Christian faith than he is about the precepts of the Christian faith, or in other words, how one becomes a believer. Frank talked about that last week uh, from, the, from chapter 2, talking about uh, faith without works is dead. And so that's our context, uh, the letter of James. And we're jumping in on chapter 3. In chapter 1, he already kind of starts to talk about speaking, being slow to speak. uh, And now he's going to jump into it with greater detail and expand on some of that. But words, words, words are, they're words. I know that was profound. Um, But listen, God spoke and stuff appeared. God spoke things into existence. The Old Testament says God said over 2,000 times. This is God's word. His words, his spoken word, written down for us. Words matter. The average human, according to WikiHow, quick uh, uh, Google search that I did, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is right. I'm just going to say it. The average person speaks anywhere between 6,000 and 16,000 words a day. Uh, The average person says 150 words a minute. So if I preach for 30 minutes, I will have said around 4,000 words. Are you writing? Uh, Please don't. Um, If Frank were preaching, he'd get around 7,000 in that 30 minutes um, because that man... Love them. Frank, we miss you. Pray you have a great time on your vacation. 
All right, words. James is concerned about the believer and the practice of the Christian faith, and so he zooms in on how we use our tongue, how we speak. And so uh, verses 1 through 5, he says that the tongue is capable. It's powerful. In verses 6 through 8, he says the tongue is corrupt. And in verses 9 through 12, he says the tongue is capricious. I'm going to explain that because I had to look it up too. Um, But alliteration helps us remember, and Frank's going to make fun of me for this, but capable, corrupt, and capricious. Let's jump in. Uh, to James chapter 3. It says this in verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. The context, again, you'll, if you've heard me preach before, I, I say a lot about context because it's incredibly important in understanding the epistles in these letters. That uh, may seem like this comment about teachers comes out of nowhere, But we have to remember that so far in his letter, he has used some illustrations to this group of people he's talking to. And I don't know if you've picked up on this, but it doesn't really seem like they're grasping. Uh, He gives an illustration about a doubting dude being tossed by the waves. He gives an illustration about a person looking in the mirror and forgetting what he or she looks like. And then he talks about the audience favoring the rich over the poor. He basically says, you're not living out your faith. Because the immediate context going into chapter 3, he says, faith without works is dead. He's getting them to evaluate themselves. And so it makes sense that he would then go in and be like, oh, by the way, since your life doesn't really match what you say, not many among you should become teachers. Now, before you uh, text Jen, our children's director, and say you can't teach Sunday school next week, uh, or or email Cheryl and say I I can't be a coach, um, or tell me that you can't be a small group leader next week, or whatever, You have to understand that James is talking to a specific group of people. And that group of people lived 2,000 years ago. And through God's word and the way that it works, there are truths and principles that we can pull out of it for us today. But what James's context is, is different than ours today. Kind of. I'm going to explain this a little bit. See, uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus, and it's likely that he had the word, the teachings of Jesus, just an echo chamber in his, in his mind and in his heart. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that points to the fact that James was the first author of the New Testament letters, meaning he wrote first. So around 40 to 45 AD, James pens this letter. Uh, a lot of what Paul writes isn't until in the 50s and in, in the 60s. Um, and so, even last week when, J- when Frank was teaching on the difference between what, how James talks about, you know, faith uh, and works versus how Paul talks about it, Paul hadn't written yet. And so there's some language discrepancies 
But I think what Frank did was he explained it and described it in a really cool way that honestly I had never heard of, heard of before. The idea that James is talking about, what did he say? Pedi- pediatrics? Something about obstetrics words and uh, pediatrics. Meaning Paul was talking about how you become a Christian. James is talking to people who have already become a Christian. And so he's talking about how you live after you become a Christian. Okay? Here's the echo chamber that James probably had in his mind. And it's the words of Jesus, later recorded for us by Matthew. So Matthew chapter 23 says this. Then Jesus, he spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. Jesus spoke. He used words. You ready? The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at the banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by the people. Jesus had a lot to say in the rest of that chapter recorded for us about the experts of the law, the teachers of his day. Jesus is the only teacher that what he taught, he lived. He's the very example of what it looks like to be human. Of what God intended when he created human beings. And so Jesus has a warning to those teachers, and that had to be an echo chamber in James's mind and heart as he's writing to these dispersed Jews who now believe in Jesus and says, slow your roll, not many among you should become teachers. And here's his purpose statement. He says, for you know that if, or you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So he uses that word we, which puts himself in the category And he says that we will receive stricter judgment. Now, what does James mean by that? Uh, Unfortunately, he doesn't go into a parenthetical rant like Paul often does on what he meant by judgment because what we know of judgment is that Jesus took it. He brought the judgment of sin and he paid it with his blood. He paid it for you and I. And so what is James referring to with these teachers experiencing stricter judgment, I believe what he's talking about, uh, what we later come to know as the judgment seat of Christ, because Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. At this point, at this judgment, Uh, Sin has been judged for. And so those who believe in Jesus and are judged righteous because of what he did on the cross, the the judgment of sin is not in, in perspective here. The judgment of your works, believer, 
Patrick, I'm talking to you. It's me. The judgment of your works, the judgment of the things you say, that hay and stubble that will burn as Christ judges, That's 1 Corinthians 3.12. In light of eternity, in the scope of eternity, your words, believer in Jesus, they matter. And so James does not take lightly teaching because in teaching, you use your tongue, you use your mouth. And if what you say doesn't match with what you practice, then it is empty. Now, you guys may not have noticed this, but you're looking up at me, and I'm teaching. And you may not see this, but my knees are shaking. And they shook the entire first service. And I think that's why Frank gave me this passage. Uh, Just kidding. But you can't laugh at that. He goes on, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature able also to control the whole body. So there's kind of this transition. He kind of stops talking about teachers, and he just goes to anyone. In other words, if you have a tongue, if you're capable of speaking, or even communicating, you can't control it. We all stumble. We all make mistakes. But he's going to keep going, so I'll keep moving. Verse 3. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, this is what James, James took my job of coming up with illustrations. He just did it for me. So I don't even have to, let's just look. Let's look at what James said. He gives us illustrations. You ready? Uh, Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. And so, verses 1 through 5, James is talking about how the tongue, the ability to speak, the ability to to communicate, it, it bears a lot of power and weight. What you say matters in the scope of eternity. You can use it to, to guide and direct, just like a, riding a horse or steering a boat. I love that James gives these illustrations 2,000 years ago, and all of you could imagine it. You could see it right in your brain, hopefully. Apparently there's people who are incapable of... Never mind. Um, that was... Don't say it. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Five, I separated kind of 5a and 5b, so we're still in verse 5. You ready? Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. So you can see it. He says, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed or subdued and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so now James tells us that the tongue is corrupt. Sin has corrupt, corrupted our hearts. And what we're going to later, we'll, we'll look at the words of Jesus again. He talks about how from your heart is, is what is produced out of your mouth. He says it better than that, but you get what I'm saying. The tongue is corrupt. And we're not just talking about cuss words here. Um, James says that it's set on fire by hell itself. This word hell, uh, Gehenna, uh, is the word that Jesus uses to describe hell, to talk about hell. That's the valley, uh, the Hinnom Valley there outside of Jerusalem that in the Old Testament where atrocious horrors happen. I think what James is actually saying here is that your tongue is so corrupt that Satan uses it. That, that's what he's saying. And then he goes, and he, so, he, so he says the tongue is capable of boasting great things. The tongue is capable of corruption. Nobody can tame it. And then he combines those things in verses 9 through 12, and that's where we get this word capricious, capricious which is another word for that would be fickle or unstable or both and, you kind of like flip-flop. And so in verse 9, he says this, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. So our words matter in light of eternity, or in the scope of eternity. And I, and I know that this isn't just merely talking about cuss words, but, um, but I think we need to talk about this for a second. And I'm preaching so i got to watch my mouth. So all of this is for the sake of illustration. There's some kids in the room, so I won't just like, you know, Spotify explicit content coming out here. Um, but like, you ever heard somebody say, go to H-E double hockey sticks? I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's been said to me. And sometimes that phrase, like we don't think anything of it. Like in our culture, and our society, like people just say it. In the video gaming world, uh, you know, they say GKY, go kill yourself, and GTH all the time. This is what our kids are subject to regularly, uh, and anyone else who plays video games for that matter. That's like the opposite of the gospel. Like Literally. It's the opposite of sharing that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can spend eternity with him and that he can, he can, he can change you now. And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he can live in your heart now, in your soul now, and begin to change you in the likeness of Christ so that you can have abundant life, John 10.10. So that you can, you can be the mature believer that James is, asking you to, to become because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. 
And yet that same mouth that we declare the gospel with, and that we maybe preach the gospel with, is the same mouth, verse 10, you ready? Blessing and curse come out of the same mouth. The same mouth sings, how can it be on Sunday morning, and says awful things to other people made in God's image and likeness. Or how about this? You ever hear when people just flippantly say, I want to say it, but it's like I can't. Like, I'll spell it. G-O-D-D-A-M-N. Damnation is what we are apart from Christ. Condemned. And you let that come out of your mouth. You text that. You say it on the golf course or wherever. And by the way, God doesn't do that. He sets you free from it. He paid the price. He gave his life. And we let meaningless, careless garbage set on fire from hell itself come out of the same mouth that we praise God with. I've had to do a good amount of uh, asking God for forgiveness in my life. I used to drive a truck before I went to seminary. You all know what truckers get for, you know, we got a trucker's mouth. Might as well be a sailor's mouth or whatever. My knees were knocking in the first service, and they're knocking in this service because my words bear weight in the light and the scope of eternity. Now, I believe that God has changed me, and in the last however many years, I've seen tremendous growth in how I use my tongue. But I'm going to be transparent and open in front of you. I love making people laugh. It feeds my ego. It makes me feel good when people laugh when I tell a joke. And a lot of times my jokes are at the expense of another person that is made in the likeness of God. And I sit there and I enjoy it. That's, that's garbage. How can it be? I believe that God loves me. How? But that's the beauty of the cross, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus went to the cross to die the death that you and I deserve, to make payment for our debt. And then three days later, he walked out of the grave as a receipt or as proof that his payment was efficient, sufficient, sufficient, excuse me, words matter. 
The payment was sufficient. And so now because I walk in light of that truth, and hopefully you too, your words matter in the scope of eternity. That is what James is trying to get us to understand. And then he goes into some more illustrations, which, oh gosh, guys, these, these illustrations, you ready? Starting, in, I'll, I'll just go back to verse 10. Blessing and curse come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can you all answer that? Come on, wake up. Thank you. Can a fig tree produce olives? What about a grapevine produce figs? He says, neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. In other words, what James is saying is if you believe the truth of the gospel and the Holy Spirit has indwelled your heart and invaded your soul, then the things that come out of your mouth should not be evil. It should not be this way among us, brothers and sisters in Christ. But nobody can tame the tongue. I think what James is implying here is unless you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, changed by Christ himself. Jesus says this, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 12. He's a, oh man, I don't have a lot of time to go into everything that's happening here in Matthew, and we're in James. So bear with me. Uh, Chapter 12, uh, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, because he's casting out demons, and they say that he's casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub and Satan himself, and Jesus confronts them, and he's like, your house can't stand against itself. Hopefully you're, you're like, you've all got your scriptures memorized, and you're tracking with me right now, because I don't have time to go into all the context. He says, a house uh, divided against itself cannot stand. He says, you're either with me or you're against me. And he says how the, the blaspheming against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but blaspheming against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Which, by the way, man, I don't have time. Let's go get coffee. I say that a lot when I preach, don't I? Let me know if you want to go get coffee. He says this. this That was all the setup. Jesus goes this. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Do you hear that in James? Somebody say yes. Thank you. All right. You brood of vipers, talking to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Your words. 
So on the day of judgment, your words hopefully are, God, I am acquitted by the work of your son Jesus Christ on the cross who paid the debt that I owe. His blood is sufficient for me. My works are not sufficient. If those are your words, here's the the caveat though. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. God knows from the place, God knows the place from which your words are stored. This is what James is talking about. Don't just say it, do it. Don't just say you believe in it. Believe in it. Have some conviction with how you live your life. In light of eternity, your words matter, and you will stand before an almighty and holy God. And what you say in light of eternity will matter on that day of judgment. And not only what you say, but where it comes from. And so, there's another aspect of this I want to talk about. Judgment is coming in the future, right? And we don't have time to go into all the end times and all that kind of stuff. But there are forms of judgment that are happening today. Paul talks about them. You know what one of them is? You know what the one we spend a lot of time talking about is somebody else judging me. But what Paul wants you to do is he wants you to judge yourself. The, the first Sunday of every month, we do communion, and, and we read 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul, and we're not doing communion today, we're going to do something a little different. But what Paul is talking about is evaluating yourself. Looking into your own heart. Asking the God that knows you better than you know yourself to reveal some things about yourself. Judge your own deeds, Christian, follower of Christ. Assess your life. What does it weigh? What are the words that you speak? And where are they coming from? We're going to go into, I'm going to invite Jeremy and the the band up here. They're going to play for us. We're going to go into a time where I'm just going to ask us to spend some time praying. Spend some time asking God to help you in that self-judgment part. Because the other part of judgment that's happening today is divine judgment uh in hebrews 6 hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 talks about this the discipline of the holy spirit in your heart and so judge yourself ask god to judge you and help you now specifically around this subject that james so desperately wants us to see in our own lives and that's how we use our mouth. It's the words that come out of our mouths.
So you can pray. You can spend time in God's word. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'd ask anyone who is uh, part of the prayer team to be in the back corner. You can go pray with them. I'll go back there as well. Let's spend some time praying uh, to God. I'll start us off. Father, we need you. We need you to help us. Because we are, yes, we're capable, but we're corrupt and we're capricious. And we need you to help us. I pray that you would hear our confession. I pray that everybody in this room would believe the how can it be. God, you love us. Despite our sin, the terrible things that have come out of our mouth in the past, but you love us. You sent your son to die on the cross for us. I pray that you would flood our hearts this morning and reveal truth to us. In Jesus' name, and we're praying this.